Every golfer is different. I mean, just look at the PGA Tour. No two swings are the same. Some people win because they hit it far. Others win because they make a lot of putts. So where are the commonalities? When you look at those top 100 players in the world, what's similar? We keep treating people like a machine and we don't address the controller, the computer that runs the machine. That's where it's at. That's, that's the key to this game. We are our own worst enemy. We are the reason for inconsistency. It's not our technique. And I don't care how much myelin you build up. If you don't have control of yourself, your thoughts, and your level of arousal, you have no chance. It's not the machine. It's the controller. So what traits should the controller have? Let's say that we had the best players in the world take a personality test. What would we find? Well, that's exactly what happened and what we're gonna talk about today. I'm John Stabler, and together with Dr. Deborah Graham, have researched and developed the golf psych system. We started that work in 1981 with the only studies that have actually been done of the tour players on the LPGA in 1981, the PGA and the senior PGA in 1989 and 1990. And the basic question we asked was, why are some players so successful, yet other players never? They're all tour players, they're all highly skilled. So what is it that the frequent winners are doing that the other players are not. Is there some difference? We discovered that there was a, a very statistically significant difference in personality between the frequent winners and the other tour players. In fact, they discovered eight traits that were statistically significant that separate those that are highly successful in winners from those that perform well, but never quite make it. There's a night and day difference and we're gonna dive into exactly what those are today on the Golf Science Lab. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab where we're bringing to light research and concepts that you might not have heard before so you can discover insights to perform better on the golf course. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker. So glad that you're back on episode five of season two of the Golf Science Lab where we're talking all about the brain neuroscience and sports psychology. You know, if you're not following us on some social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're putting out a lot of content, uh, stuff that you won't see anywhere else. So Instagram is totally different than Facebook, which is totally different than Twitter. So make sure to head over there, uh, follow what's going on and stay up to date. Also, we just updated our Insider Club content. Uh, these are some snippets of interviews and conversations that are not published on golfsciencelive.com, but they're available for insiders. So head over to golfsciencelive.com backslash insider. You can get free access to that. But before that, a word from this episode's sponsors. Most people practice poorly. The number one teacher in Colorado, Trent Werner, has seen a lot of this over the years. One is the old just scrape and hit, right, that everybody kind of knows and whack a ball and there's no learning from it. You, you know it's bad, you're, you're, you're pulling another one over before the other one's even landed and you're raking over another one to basically just repeat it over and over again. When we look at the research, it's easy to see that this doesn't work. That's why setting up games and drills 
tracking progress and simulating pressure is critical. Trent actually wrote a book about 10 years ago called Golf Scrimmages, talking about setting up good practice environments. He then took that and built an application at golfscrimmages.com so you can access the games anywhere and find out what you need to do for the skills you need to work on. And then watch as you go up the leaderboards. So head over to golfscrimmages.com and watch a video showing you how it all works. Again, it's golfscrimmages.com. We need to start this conversation about personality traits by trying to understand personality tests themselves. Do we trust them? Are they accurate? And what can we actually learn from them? The original uh, study was conceived by Dr. Graham back in 1980. She was uh, going to USIU, United States International University in San Diego to earn her doctorate in psychology. But at USIU, um, there were several doctors who have literally pioneered sports psychology in the U.S. And she, she got those guys to be on her committee, her dissertation committee, her oversight committee. And she chose to try to do a personality study of the LPGA players. She chose the Cattell 16 personality factor inventory. Dr. Raymond Cattell pioneered the whole concept of personality assessment. And she chose it because it only took about an hour to do, uh, yet it had enough questions to be very accurate. And it measured really 32 personality traits on 16 bipolar scales. We'll have an image over on the site that you can look at to see exactly how these traits look. You can find that at golfsciencelab.com slash eight traits. So she got enough LPGA players to have a valid study. And the question she asked was, is there a difference between the frequent winners and the other LPGA Tour players in terms of personality traits? And so she conducted the study, and then she took the data, all of the assessments. She grouped them based on the player's career record. So the frequent winners, that was a very clear grouping. And then she had a, a near-champion group who had won once or twice but been on tour for a while, and a non-champion group, she called them, who had been on tour a long time and never won. Then she used some software from the University of California system called BMDP, which is a statistical analysis package. And she put the data in and had it analyzed and compare the groups and compare them by personality trait. And that software, that analysis, said that on eight of the personality traits, the frequent winner group was different from the other two groups. And the level of statistical distinction was at the 95th percentile and above. On the ninth trait compared, the level of statistical distinction dropped down to the 60th percentile. So these eight traits, there's a huge difference between those traits and the others, and they're incredibly um, unique to the champion group. 
After going through this personality test that consisted of 185 questions called the Cattell 16 PF, Dr. Graham found eight traits that separated the champions from the near champions. And I want to run through a few of these so you get an idea. It's a cool, narrow focus instead of a warm, wide focus. Abstract thinking instead of concrete thinking. Emotionally stable instead of emotionally reactive, and so on. And again, you can see an example of this over on the site at golfsciencelab.com slash eight traits. And you know, the Cattell 16PF has been around for a long time. There are other personality tests that you've probably heard of, Myers-Briggs, DISC, uh, and they all have points that have been argued over and flaws that have been pointed out. So, you know, my opinion to you about personality tests is, although none are probably perfect, there are things that we can learn and it's definitely worthwhile to take a look. And obviously with this study that Dr. Graham did, there were some incredible insights to be aware of that have a direct impact on how a player performs. And, you know, really any player, even Gary McCord. Gary had known us for quite a while. In fact, he had us consult on Tin Cup. But he turned 49. He'd been commentating already for a while. He liked it. Life was good. And here comes the senior tour, you know, major opportunity. But he didn't want to change his life. He didn't want to give up the commentating. He didn't want to go into a major effort to get ready. And he said, you know what? Let's try it. Let's see if you guys can help me uh, get ready for this. And he took the assessment. Now, a little background on Gary. He played 376 PGA Tour events in his PGA Tour career. He made 242 cuts, no wins. After we got the results back, it became somewhat obvious where his challenges were. He only lined up on two of the eight champion traits. He's off the money on the other six. But there were two of those, one in particular that was the most damaging. As you might guess, just thinking about Gary, he measured very high on the abstract scale. Uh, up in the really high or wow level compared to other people. The frequent winners on tour do not. They only measure slightly above average on the abstract side of the scale. So people that like Gary, their, their biggest challenge is quieting their mind and making a decision they can commit to in the short amount of time they have to make it. That's what was the most hurtful for Gary. The old cliche is paralysis by analysis. On tour, if you're the first to hit, you've got 40 seconds by the time you get to the ball, 40 seconds to hit the ball. You can't think about all the options. You've got to come to a decision pretty quick and go ahead and play the shot. Once he understood that, then the recommendations were keep it simple. That is, a game plan the night before. Decide how you're going to play the course. Get the weather report, etc. Decide how you're going to play before you go out. What club, what target, what shape of shot before you get out there. So all that thinking's done when you're more relaxed. Secondly, listen to your intuition. What we found is people that are high in the abstract scale have really good intuition. 
or first impressions. Go with the first impression. Don't overthink it. And thirdly, on the putting green, read the putts from behind and below and stop. Don't second guess it. Don't go to the other side of the hole. It will just give you too much information. You'll get confused. And so with that work and, you know, basic mental routine stuff and how to do those things, Gary was then able to go out and win in his rookie year tour, rookie year on the senior tour. He won two out of 17. Same guys he couldn't beat on the regular tour. You know, these are amazing results. They identified what Gary specifically needed to work on and got him to improve and his results changed. And so getting back to what we started this conversation about, let's work on the controller and not the machine and see if we can change the results. And these same eight champion traits came out when they gave the same test to PGA Tour players and senior PGA members in 1989 and 1990. This is really fun. We were able to eventually uncover something even deeper in each individual's unique psyche that both influenced their traits and their ability to use the skills that we taught them to strengthen them. For example, a person that we call a challenger naturally has strong confidence, but they have an underlying obstacle, which is a fear of losing control. Then if they lose control, it can ultimately interfere with the confidence. And then of course, it can snowball into affecting all the other champion traits, some more than others, depending on how strong they were to begin with. Another example that we call a reformer has naturally lower confidence, you know, sometimes really low confidence. And the way they get their confidence or they've learned to get it is through perfection. So in order to be confident, they need to be perfect. And when they lose perfection, they lose confidence. And then that can snowball and again, ultimately affect the other eight champion traits. So as with any growth, awareness is key. Once we can make them aware of their underlying obstacle, they can better manage it. We, we teach them skills for managing it. And then when they do that, their skills for maintaining the champion traits are better and much more resilient under pressure. Even further, since working with over 380 tour players, they found some traits that have even more importance than others. For all the years that we've been working with players, while it's not scientific, We've come to the realization that there is a hierarchy of the eight champion traits or a level of greater and lesser importance. They're all important. But I've gotten to the place where when I get a personality assessment back, the first thing I look at, the most important of the eight champion traits, is self-assurance or self-esteem, self-confidence, because that trait alone and I on the hierarchy of traits I put that all by itself at the top if the player is on the other side of that scale if they're apprehensive it makes everything so much harder to do I frankly I know that if if I can't get them to work in that area coaching them and how to focus and coaching them and how to lower arousal and manage thoughts is only going to be partially effective every now and then. But that apprehensive personality is its just going to fall apart. Here's how that can play out for someone with low self-assurance. They judge themselves 
based on outcome, based on external things. And the problem is those external things can go away right, right now. If you have two players, one self-assured and one apprehensive, they both play poorly today. And they come off the golf course, they're both unhappy, they're both upset. Two hours later, the self-assured player has thought about what happened, has tried to identify what the issue was or issues, has come up with a plan, and has put the round behind them. They will proceed to have a nice dinner, they'll proceed to have a decent evening, and their expectations for tomorrow are good because they believe in themselves. Okay? The apprehensive person had a, had a bad time today, and they keep replaying the misses, they keep reliving the frustration and the embarrassment and the emotions. They can't let go. They can't see through what was wrong. They don't know how. And so they have a miserable evening, and their expectations for tomorrow are worse. I could do worse tomorrow. Who knows? It was ugly today, and I was trying. It could be worse tomorrow. I, maybe I'm really not a very good player. And so they probably don't sleep well, and they probably do lots of imagery of negative stuff, which doesn't help. It's like programming negative. And tomorrow, it's very likely they do play worse. The two sequences start with personality. The self-assured player can slough it off. That's why it's so important. I almost don't care where you score on self-assurance. More self-assured is good. So if you're a three on the scale, a two would be better. A one would be better. A plus one if that's possible. I'm not talking about conceit, and I'm not talking about a false sense of self. I'm talking about believing in yourself, trusting yourself, liking yourself. That's self-assured. People really need to separate their golf from themselves. There's my golf. You know, my golf is good or bad. It varies. It's not the same every day. That's just the way it is. But I'm always good. I know when the chips are down, I'm going to come through. I can do it. I believe I can do it. Versus the apprehensive, just sees negative all the time. Negative potential outcomes, negative possibilities, negative responses from others. So I, I guess the question is like, how do we how do we change, or how does one go about like getting higher up on that on that scale? First of all, start working on your concept of yourself. Look for the good, not the bad. Try to see yourself in a positive way. Make a list of your positive attributes, things about things you really like about yourself every day. Add one more to the list. Think about what you put on the list. Accept it. Agree with it. Believe in it. Start emphasizing the things you can control and let go of the rest. So in golf, what can you control? Well, I can control preparation. I can make sure I've got everything in the bag I need. I can anticipate the weather. I can do a game plan. I can do imagery practice of good shots. What can you control when you're playing? Well, you can set mental goals for yourself before the round, and you can make the mental goals more important because you can control those. For example, one of my mental goals for today's round is to be really committed to every shot and every putt. 
And my goal for today, I'll be happy if I can accomplish that 70% of all my shots and putts. Now, they're, they're going to try 100%, but to actually accomplish it, it's going to be something less. Once we found the eight champion traits, we then set out to create methods to teach skills to maximize them. And then we found it was really fun to see golfers of really all types quickly find ways to improve their play and to reach their goals. But the greatest reward came over a bit of time, at least for me as a psychologist, because we started to see lives improve also. They got more self-awareness and they got more adept at using the skills off the course too. Things like focus, confidence got better, abilities to manage emotions and tension all helped them in other ways from test taking to decision making to relationships and marriages. And then eventually we took on the challenge of finding out why it was hard to use these at particular times more than others. Obvious behavioral things first stood out, like lack of sleep, poor hydration, poor nutrition, you know, stress from unresolved personal conflicts. But then it started to get even more interesting. Make sure to check out their book, Eight Traits of Champion Golfers. You know, it's a book that I've personally had on my bookshelf for a long time and recommend that you pick it up as well. Uh, and head over to the site and maybe complete your own personality test. To learn more about Golf Psych, or to contact us, go to golfsite.com. That's G-O-L-F-P-S-Y-C-H, like in psychology, golfsite.com. And you'll find our programs, our schools, uh, articles, free articles about the mental side, and contact me form to, to reach us. Again, that's golfpsych.com. Our book is called The Eight Traits of Champion Golfers by Dr. Deborah Graham and John Stabler. And that's available on Amazon and through some bookstores. We also have a number of products that are designed to be self-guiding. So if you want to do the assessment and figure out what your challenges are in the eight champion traits, you can do that and get a report back within an hour with recommendations based on your personality and proven methods that we've developed through our work on tour. Thank you so much to Dr. Deborah Graham and John Stabler for joining us. Make sure to check out what they're doing. Also, join us in the Golf Science Lab Insider Club. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. Thank you to this season's content partner, Dr. Brett McCabe of themindside.com for his invaluable advice. One of the things we talked about in the last season of the Golf Science Lab was transferring skills. How do we transfer skills from the range to the course? And we learned that we need to practice like we play, simulating pressure and going through the same processes. So that's why golf scrimmages is such a good tool. They have great games and specific drills for the skills that you need to improve. So head over to golfscrimmages.com, see what they're up to, sign up, track your progress, and climb the leaderboards. Big thank you to them for sponsoring this season of the Golf Science Lab. This was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions, and we'll see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.